Hello and welcome back to PowerSuit Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Ingram. By day I work at a digital agency and by night I run PowerSuit Social. Today I'm really glad to have a creative agency CEO in for a chat. Xavier Reese is the CEO of Havas London and Havas Helia. And I'll be talking to him about where things are going for Adland and his advice to young guns in the industry. Zav has worked his way up the relatively traditional route in advertising, so on the client-facing side of things, at a range of great agencies like BBH, Wonderman, and in recent years he was Group Managing Director for Adam and Eve DDB. Adam and Eve are the agency behind the blockbuster John Lewis Christmas ads, and he now runs the creative division of Havas. Havas London worked with brands like Rolls-Royce, Carling, Finish, and Sillet Bang. Bring back Barry. <laughs> exactly. The advertising industry hasn't um, has had an interesting year or two. We've had things like management consultancies have started by creative agencies. That makes a bit of a funny dynamic. And some brands have started taking their work in-house instead of using an agency. There have also been lots of changes at the top, like recently, Sir Martin Sorrell stepping down as the head of WPP. So it's always interesting to be working somewhere that's in flux. And that's why, Zav, I'm delighted to have you on PowerSuit Podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. I want to start off right at the beginning of your career. In your current role, you run a £28 million creative agency and... In fact, you're the CEO of three agencies, but I want you to take me back right to the start. What was your first ever job? I was wondering where to start with. My first ever job was as a gloriously titled crew member for McDonald's. Really? Uh, where I uh, where I managed to secure zero stars, but learned a lot about the fact that I was, I was exceedingly shit at doing a number of things that some people were extremely good at. Probably spent about probably six months or a year doing that. And then actually I was a researcher at a library. My first real job in marketing was with Boots. I was a product manager managing their glorious portfolio of greetings cards (laughs) based in Nottingham. But my first advertising, well, my first marketing agency job, because it was a direct marketing agency, was Grey Integrated. And I dotted about doing different things before that. And I think that, you know, whilst that was a short period of time, I think it grounded me and made me realise that agency life was a very lucky way to lead most of your working week. And so what initially drew you to agency life? Was it kind of luck or did you have creative aspirations? (laughs) It's not that fashionable to say this, but I've always loved advertising. Uh, When I was a kid, quite tragically, I used to have, I was as likely to have posters of ads on my wall as posters of football players or anything else. So my walls were plastered with what I thought at the time were great print ads. I suppose they were print ads, Coca-Cola, Budweiser, Levi's, you name it. And I think the way that, you know, I post-rationalise it, I suppose, but they always were able to tell an amazing story in one visual, and, and that sort of excited me and appealed to my tragically adolescent mind, probably. So I'd always loved it from that perspective. My dad actually was a client more than a... Um, he did work at an agency for a little bit, so there was always a copy of Campaign on the side at home, actually, when I was a kid. And so subconsciously that fed me. But really, you know, when I left... Uh, well, I was still working at Boots, and then I came down and met a friend who was working at Grey Integrated. And really, it wasn't anything um, planned or career-driven. I just thought they looked like they were having a much better laugh, and they also looked like they were doing something that was better than doing a real job. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so culturally, I suppose, I looked at it and thought, this feels a bit more like it's full of people that are able to express themselves a bit. Uh, Boots, for example, I think the... Uh, closest you got to expressing yourself was by wearing a Disney tie and don't worry I never wore one of those but I used to watch blokes uh, walk around thinking that that was the uh, best way of expressing their creativity and that made me die inside a little bit. (laughs) Weirdly 
I was kind of drawn to advertising for similar reasons, but I'd always thought I never want to work in a place where I'm required to wear a suit. So it's kind of ironic that I've now engineered something where I get a chance to wear a power suit. Um, speaking of suits, what do you think, what would you say makes a great account man or account person? And do you think that's the same today as when you started out? I suppose there are two parts to that question. Uh, the things that make a great suit. Most importantly, I think you've just got to have an insatiable thirst for knowledge. I think that's true of anybody working in our industry, but particularly if you're a suit. Uh, we exist in an amazingly untrained world uh, where you don't necessarily need to have a qualification to become expert in what we do. And there are pros and cons to that. But you know, the pros are that if you want to train yourself, you can quite quickly become more expert than most of the people around you. I think as a suit, you have to become expert. You have to understand the mechanics of how it works. You have to understand the great uh, marketers, the great brands, the great campaigns, and uh, and you have to uh, throw that all into a pot that, that gives you a context and a, and a knowledge that is uh, beyond the people that are paying you for your services. Otherwise, you're uh, irrelevant, I'd say. So, so I suppose number one, a thirst for knowledge. Nigel Bogle used to start with all his account management presentation by saying you need to operate with a hint of paranoia at all times and it keeps you on your toes. And uh, that's better than my dad's version, which was uh, never trust anyone except yourself. (laughs) I think you just have to love and care about what you do. I talk a lot about there really only being one metric today in in a modern advertising industry, and that's how much you care. I hate the idea of presenteeism and people having to be at their desk at a certain time. And I think if you care, you, you can do it your way. But if you don't love what you do, it becomes pretty apparent pretty quickly. So I suppose that would be the third thing I'd say. And then having a point of view. I still come across too many people that think it's their job to represent other people's point of view. I think that's a really fundamental difference between really good suit and somebody that will really only ever get so far you have to work out what your point of view is based on all the information and then represent that as much as representing somebody else's point of view otherwise you spend your life second guessing so I think your question about what are the qualities now versus in the past I think all of those were true when I started out and they're all true now the thing that has changed most is how is speed has become a strategic mandatory rather than something tactical that you can throw in. So I think the ability to hustle and make things happen, not just make things happen full stop, but make them happen quickly and effectively and unashamedly uh, jump through process when we can. Uh, if you can crunch through three stages of process by getting the right people in a room really quickly, then go for it. And that ability to drum up energy uh, to get to a conclusion quicker is a skill that maybe didn't exist to the degree or didn't need to exist to the degree that it needs to exist today, certainly when I started out. So probably hustling's the new bit, but really uh, all those things have always been true. Yeah, I'm the same on the hustling side of things. I mean, I'm not client-facing, but I definitely see the value of when there isn't an easy route in taking the side door. In my instance, it's not kind of creating campaigns, but it might be something like I wanted to get access to meet you as, mm. as a, a new sort of network contact. It's like, well, how can I make that happen? I could engineer this situation where I'm sitting opposite you. Um, and yeah, it's not, not always as simple as that. I think that the momentum and the energy that brings makes this a more exciting job to do than it's ever been. Brilliant. And then and as for Havas London, what was the brief when you joined? Because I know it's a bit of a sort of turnaround business, right? <laughs> Let's hope so. Yeah, we're sort of still in the 
early stages of that, I would say. The brief was very much to establish Havas in the UK as the leading Havas office in the network, step one. And that was part way on a journey to, you know, to being up there with the best agencies in town. I think we believe if we want to make Havas a really strong network worldwide and competing to be the best network, then we need to be the best or one of the best agencies in all of the key markets and London. You know, it would be two years next week since I joined. So that's a work in progress. I think the other thing which Chris Hurst and I, so Chris Hurst, my, my boss at Havas, uh, the other thing that we spoke about when I joined was the move into the new building that we're all in in King's Cross now. That hadn't happened at that stage. But I think it's fair to say that Chris understood that my background was equal parts direct marketing or customer engagement, however you want to describe it this season, and brand advertising. And the task of making a real asset and point of difference out of Havas's ability to integrate and having all of the disciplines, including media and all creative agencies in a single building, uh, making that not just about a cost-saving mechanism, and it wasn't. I mean, it's an investment because you've moved into a better building where people want to be in a part of town where people want to be. So it's about attracting talent as well. But really, it's about putting integration at strategically at the heart of what we're all about as a UK and a global business. And that really was and remains the other part of the brief. Mm-hmm. Quite a few of the big networks are putting all of their agencies in one building. I saw that publicists have just announced they're, they're doing that as well, moving to White City. Did you say it was last year you guys moved to King's Cross? Yeah, end of January 2017. Yeah. So about 15, 16 months ago. And then so in that time, can you already see the effect of how people, how the agencies are working together and collaborating? Definitely, definitely. It's funny because the building that Havas London were in before we moved there I spent every month of my six months in that building hating on it, looking at the mouse that would come out at three in the afternoon and overconfidently stare me back in the face and thinking, I can't wait to be out of this office. But then, of course, we moved into the new office and it takes, it's like moving to a new house. It's beautiful, but none of your stuff's out and you don't know quite how to use the space. And what certainly has happened since Christmas is there's been a real loosening up of the relationships that exist between all of the agencies and most importantly between the people in those agencies. We made a really deliberate decision from the outset that no one agency would have a single floor to themselves in that building. So from day one, we've made a real point of making sure that we all know we are in it together and that we're competing against people that are outside of Havas, not against each other within Havas. I've definitely come across that in um, agency networks that I've worked in before, that there is that kind of sibling rivalry. Without question. and and. I've never come across it being anything other than that. My history is mainly one of working in network agencies. And it's true to say that your sister agencies, uh, you are much more fiercely competitive with than you are with people outside of the network. And that's just bonkers. And I think the the brilliant thing that we've managed to achieve or that we're starting to manage to achieve within Havas is that we all want it together. I would describe it as we have a a strategy of complementing the businesses that exist within the network rather than replicating them. If you look at the other networks, they have multiple ad agencies, multiple customer engagement agencies, PR, etc., etc. We tend to have one of each, and I think that helps. But also, we just know that our fight is to be strong as a unit and take on 
everybody else not to uh, try and fight it out amongst one another. And that is bizarrely unusual. I have to say it's crazy, isn't it? But that is the case. And then it's been about making sure that the, the people working on projects across the agency get to know each other. And it's been gradual. But what you find now is that when a client gives us a brief, you don't need to decide that you need the, a media agency involved separately uh, and ask the client whether they're happy to engage Havas Media. Uh, we can reach out uh, I use the phrase reach out, which I loathe, but you can literally walk out of a room and find somebody that is a specialist in media and pull them into the room for a conversation and, and for an hour or two to properly nut some stuff out. It really is creating great change. So so the building's loosened up. Uh, the fact that no one's on one floor really helps. I think this notion of complementing our skill sets rather than replicating them is really important. You know, we haven't even gone on to talk about the fact that uh, we're a part of Vivendi, so our sister companies are the likes of Universal Music and Gameloft, the biggest mobile mm. gaming company in the world, and Studio Canal, the big film creation and, and distributor. And uh, and so the conversations that we're starting to have are really quite different. They're going to be in the building next door to us from the end of the summer. So again, that's another strategic move rather than a kind of tactical, let's save some money by all plonking ourselves in the same building kind of move. So, so interesting times and I think the geographical proximity of being in the same building is without question an advantage that we're starting to take advantage of although I think there's still some way to go. And what's your next big task for the agency? I think to continue the momentum that we've achieved so far I mean if I'm talking about Have Us London we're just getting going but we had a superb year versus what I could have imagined uh, last year uh, we, you know, were one of the runners-up for Campaign Agency of the Year. Mm, uh, we had a really strong new business year, so keeping that momentum going is really important. Delivering that same level of success for Helia, so so have us Helia, the customer engagement agency that I'm now responsible for since end of Jan. You you reinvent agencies through yes, keeping and growing your existing client base, but by winning new clients as well. And I think those things have to go hand in hand. So getting some of that new business success in for Helia as well. And we've just won Starbucks uh, customer engagement across EMEA. So that's nice. a start. Yeah, I think getting the talent continuing to flow in, you know, we're in a much stronger place than we were. But if we really want to compete uh, with the very best agency or agencies in town, you know, we can always bring more brilliant talent in. And again, hopefully that comes through growth and training the people we've got. But I suppose the thing that we all know we need to be focused on a regular delivery of creative work that competes with the best in the marketplace and we're only just getting going from that perspective. We know that. Uh, there's quite a lot in the pipeline right now, but uh, proof will be in the pudding. Uh, speaking with my PR hat on, so obviously I, I do PR for agencies as well. How would you think that agencies should be making a name for themselves, whether that's to kind of recruit new talent or whatever, but how do you think they should be making a splash? I always believe that you need to let your product do the talking to some degree. Uh, I can't bear the idea of making a splash for the sake of it without it reinforcing what you're about, what you actually do and what benefit you can have to clients. So I, th I think our work is the best demonstration of that. But, uh, but I think you can always be interesting and start debates with clients about subjects that are of interest to them. So only last week we had a 
an amazing day at Abbey Road Studios, actually, uh, which we called uh, Intersection. And that was really about how can brands engage with entertainment properties in a more meaningful way. We put on a great set of panels and, and, uh, and got expert entertainment marketers, advertising agency uh, representatives and, and artists and filmmakers and game makers together to have a debate about how brands and those entertainment properties can coexist and actually uh, push each other forward. Now you speak to a client at the end of a session like that and they say things like, I never come to one of these days expecting to be uh, interested for the entire day. So I think I think if you come at it with the client's perspective in mind, as in, is mm. it going to be worth some of their time? Are they going to take something useful back from the experience? Then I, th- I think there are always interesting events or conversations you can start, but you have to focus it on what you're all about, what you're going to deliver back to the client. Um, if you engage in pointless theatre, uh, I fear that that will consign you to the scrap heap fairly quickly, although um, not always the case that people follow that advice. Well, otherwise it's just a kind of chance for us to like list all of our qualities and show a bunch of case studies. Yeah, if you turn it into a glorified cred session, I would say you're dead in the waters. I, uh, I want to move things on to where you see the future of agencies going. So as you know, we're starting to see management consultancies like Accenture buying up creative agencies, which I personally find quite weird and a little, almost a little bit jarring in a way. I personally find that creative people wouldn't really be that interested to work for consultancy-owned agencies. I, I could be wrong. What, what do you think about it? I think we shouldn't be so quick to judge. I think that I have a huge amount of respect for the consultancies out there. I think it would be very easy to imagine that everybody that works in an agency is cut from the same cloth and feels the same way. I think it depends what you want in life when they come calling (laughs) and where they're at in their life stage as consultancies when they come calling. I'm sure many of us will get a call at some point. But culturally, I think they're still very different. You know, I've spoken to a few of my friends who have either worked Uh, now work at consultancies or have sold their businesses to consultancies and it's absolutely the case that culturally we're poles apart still and part of the answer to that question is well how much closer together will they come culturally but again part of the answer to that is what type of person are you if you're extremely structured thinker and you adore process then then actually the way in which consultancies set themselves up, uh, you might well thrive and you may well push them forward and they may push you forward. I think if you are somebody that likes a loose, creative culture, then it sounds like, certainly from the people I've spoken to, the consultancies aren't in the same place culturally. The question for me is, can they coexist? Will they try and close the gap? Uh, How does all of that work? But I think it would be really naive of us to try and imagine that... uh, there'll be a future without uh, the consultancies coming in and playing a role. I think we should embrace it. I think it will force the agencies that don't want to be consultancies or parts of consultancies to really focus in on what they do want to be and how that's different from the consultancies that they are looking to critique. But I like it, you know. I like the idea that people are coming in and, you know, there's not enough shaking up of our industry going on, really. And I think if this is one of the things that gets us all... uh, to have a, a chat and find uh, an enemy for a bit, and that's an interesting thing. But I think I think they're going to they're going to bring a lot of value, actually. And maybe that's not a fashionable thing to say, but but uh, I think it would depend on how you feel at that moment in time. Yeah, I suppose a natural disadvantage that we have as the creative lot 
is that we have less of an in with the most senior people brand side. So, you know, consultancies, not always, obviously, but, um, you know, quite often they're working directly with the board of a brand of a client. And we might be working with the sort of most senior marketing director type. Mm. So you're right, it's going to it's going to ruffle some feathers and it's going to change Possibly, things. but I would almost challenge that a little bit as well. You know, even in the advertising agencies, uh, then if you have a good relationship with your clients, you will be engaging at a, a board director level. But particularly within a network like Havas and many other networks, you'll find that your corporate PR agencies, your M&A experts, will be engaging at that level. So again, it's about how close you are as a set of people within your advertising agency network in terms of how you work uh, with those relationships and and can you show value again I think it's too easy to imagine that we don't have any of those things going for us already I don't think we're particularly good at making you know those cross conversations work well for us because of all of the sisterly competition that goes on that we spoke about earlier exactly and then I'm a bit obsessed with the sort of future gazing stuff so yeah 30 years ago late 80s, we'd hold ourselves out of a recession and joblessness using the power of shoulder pads, hairspray and furious creativity, or at least that's that's how I feel about it and that's that's how I like to talk about it. But um, can you paint me a picture of where you think things might be in about 30 years from now? I mean, you know, it's kind of impossible, but do you think <laughs> do you think we'll still have creative agencies? The easy answer to that is to say, well, none of us know, so that's part of the fun. I think that, um, but I think, I think it's too easy for us to obsess about uh, have we got a future, haven't we got a future. I think that as people working in and running agencies, we need to create organisations that are really good at adapting to change, whatever that change might be. And I think maybe historically agencies had a a one way of doing things. And I think, you know, look at all the best agencies in town, they've got much better at adapting to change. Uh, And if you are running an agency and you're good at embracing new challenges as they come along and adapting your agency to those challenges, then you'll be fit for purpose uh, in the long run. And to tackle your question head on, I do think there will be agencies in 30 years' time. Yes, I do. I think they'll be different. Uh, you know, I think none of us know how they'll be different. I, one thing I would say is that maybe this is a cliche, but sod it. I think none of us within agency have got good enough at the idea of co-creation yet. I think brands are better at it than agencies are, funnily enough. Uh, I think co-creation is going to be part of the answer. You know, we've just won a big pitch recently and we wrote some of the work that went into that final pitch by going to a school and getting the teachers and the pupils to write the work with us and trying to look at it differently and thinking how can we make sure that we have a more interesting and creative answer and knowing that we don't have all of the most interesting and creative answers ourselves is really important. I think we need to understand that part of our job is to curate that creativity wherever it comes from, not just to create it ourselves. Uh, And so I think that's going to be an interesting journey. Um, And, you know, the big opportunity for us is to accept that we don't have all the answers. I think that's exciting. I think think once upon a time, particularly as suits, we were able to say, well, there are basically three disciplines. You know, there's there's account management, uh, there is uh, uh, planning, there's creative. Actually, we, well, I should make sure that we put production firmly in there, so, so forth. But you could manage all of those elements and have some element of control over all of them. And you could have some level of expert knowledge of them all as well. 
Uh, now part of the job is about managing areas and disciplines that we can never be expert in and embracing that and understanding that answers can come from elsewhere and it's the way that you curate and learn and serve that back up that's really important as much as what you create yourselves. Yeah, because on a, on a little bit of a tangent, speaking to a teacher recently uh, who's yeah, about my age and feeling worried about the fact that kids can find all of the answers to their homework and everything online. Mm. And I was saying, well, actually, maybe that won't be the future of learning, really. It might not be about getting correct answers, because if we can always access correct answers and access facts, then it will be a matter of, yeah, finding that important information and being able to sort of synthesise it into something that's more interesting and rather than just being able to sort of learn things by rote and repeat it back which is not going to be useful in an age where you can google anything indeed and the gift of a short-term memory is uh, entirely unnecessary looking into the future as well so so i mean i who knows but i think there'll be a focus on our own creativity for sure but i think there'll be a focus on are we able to navigate the power of creativity that is outside of our agencies in order to strengthen the ideas we have, not just relying on the people that we observe to be our full-time employees. And I think that's changing already, but I mean, I see that as a more fundamental shift than exists already. Going back to creative talent, where do you think we should be looking for the best creative talent now, like whether that's kind of on certain platforms or how are creative directors finding the best people? You use the word now, but I think we need to separate between how we need to find it now versus how we find it in the future. Uh, We all know we've got a major problem in terms of the breadth of talent that we are attracting to the industry and and that exists in the industry. I think the problem is the idea that we're going to solve that overnight is a a myth. The truth is that the answer to a uh, more interesting, diverse, creative set of people in a business is right in front of our eyes. I don't think we're making the most of what we've got. Uh, our fingertips, uh, you know, whether you talk about working mothers and, and, and really keeping them in the industry and really harnessing the enormous power that, to a large extent, gets wasted by this industry, or whether you talk about the non-Oxbridge or non-university-educated crew, I think there are an awful lot of people that are right in front of our noses that we don't spend enough time thinking about. I think for the future, though, and this is something we're really investing in at Havas London, the answer is that we have to stretch out to people that currently won't be thinking about or even understanding that you can have a career in advertising. So I'm sure many agencies are doing We're working with some of the other agencies as well, but making sure that you are out in schools talking to disadvantaged kids about the ability to pursue a creative career the idea that you know i'm on a neurodiversity panel how can we make sure that uh, we can harness the power of people who are neurodiverse uh, you know whether that be autism or dyslexia or dyspraxia or you name it there's enormous creative potential in people that maybe we would rule out because they don't effervesce in an interview in a way that we uh, pigeonhole people at the moment. So I, I think that there is a job for us to do to look further and to work on a new breed of person that's coming into the business. The problem is that uh, right now, if we need to hire experts uh, or people that are going to make a difference, then then we need to make better with, with, with what we have. And I think that's the most urgent piece of work beyond that i think we can look a little you know right now we can look more interestingly at 
places like journalism or people that are creating content outside of agency life we we've hired several people from the worlds of uh, of journalism or you know online journalism to craft i suppose a different kind of story in a way that people are consuming them now uh, we know that uh, the 60 second ad whilst i've i still feel there's a role for that very passionately we know that that is only one of the forms of storytelling that uh, that you need to be really expert at and we're trying to tool ourselves up to make sure we're competing. Yeah, I'm, I'm noticing because I am, I'm on a, the sort of generic inbox for 360i. We're getting more and more people saying, I've made this, I've created this, I've started this up. One person got in touch today to say, I've seen that you've just opened applications for your internship. I'm this site content creator, this and the other. And his stuff was kind of cool, but I also said, that's nice. And I'll, you know, I'll forward it to our creative director, but you do have to go by the normal channels I'm afraid like you do still have to go through the application process I'm not just going to sort of get you straight in that's right but you have to work with the people that are the gatekeepers to talent within the organization uh, have us we make sure that our you know from our chief people officer down the the guys that really understand how to nurture existing talent and spot new talent are really invested in the idea that we need to cast our net broader and attract people that may be we haven't been interested in attracting in the past, you know, whether that, you know, the stuff that Sherry's doing at Pitch Futures. For anybody that doesn't know, Sherry Collins runs Pitch Magazine. They run something called Pitch Futures, where they've been working with, they've been working with primary schools to educate kids on the, yeah, the careers that are out there. So rather than just kind of looking at how do we get graduates interested in working at our agencies, it's like, how do we start with, yeah, really, really young kids and getting them to understand what's on offer. So three or four times in the last couple of months, you'd have been able to walk around uh, Havas's offices and seen uh, meeting rooms full of whole years, uh, you know, an entire year group from a school of primary or secondary school kids answering advertising briefs, understanding uh, what it's like to work in an agency. And uh, that's both eye-opening for them, hopefully in a positive way, but you know what, it's a, it's a great thing. It's very rewarding for the people that already work at Havas as well because I think they know that this can be of benefit to the industry they're working in, but also benefit to the people that we're trying to attract. I saw kids at the Havas building when I was going past because I gave it a talk at The Guardian alongside Laura Jordan-Bambach where we talked about gender inequality in the media industries. So we'll also be releasing that as one of the bonus PowerSuit podcast episodes. I did actually see kids in the Havas building. And I was thinking, I thought that's where the Havas um, agencies were and I could just see these like 10-year-olds running around in reception um, so I was wondering what was going on. So that yeah, sense well, so we we had our um, in-house production uh, guys. Uh, uh, they were at the behest of the school kids for the day. Uh, so they were making uh, ads for a particular brief we'd set them, um, and they were able to make the posters and actually make real, you know, real kind of six-sheet size posters that we printed out and uh, that they had created during the course of a day. Uh, they made films. We had editors on hand for them to, to get a real experience of what it's like to work in a creative business. So you never know. We'll either have put them off for good or, or they'll have had their eyes open and imagine that there's something more interesting. So I think that you can make sure that this is bedded into your culture and bedded into the way that you approach hiring people full stop. Uh, but yeah, in the end, of course, that you know there'll be a process you need to go through. Uh, our, we have an internship scheme which looks at people who uh, who aren't graduates and are, you know straight out of uh, out of other jobs or straight out of school, uh, and uh, and that's a small way that we can help. But uh, 
and when I say help, I mean help ourselves. These people make our businesses better, so this isn't about some sort of altruistic bullshit. This is about making us fit for purpose. Amazing. Lastly, Zav, where can people find you? So I didn't know how to answer this. Um, the good thing about my name is that, uh, well, actually, there are a couple of other Xavier Reese's somewhere in the world, but uh, they obviously didn't get into social media as soon as I did. So you can find me mostly if you can be asked under Xavier Reese, or one word, on any other social platforms. But more importantly, you can probably find me somewhere between Selhurst Park and uh, the office and home, <laughs> spiritually speaking, at least. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for joining pleasure thank you for having me it's a great podcast and uh, not before time that we start to celebrate the art of suiting i would say brilliant thank you thank you so much for listening to power suit podcast that was me lauren ingram interviewing xavier reese the ceo of havas london if you enjoyed today's episode please give us a rating on itunes so other people can find us and don't forget to subscribe to our email newsletter if you'd like to be kept up to date with our events and you can find us on twitter or instagram on at power suit social where we've got creative jobs and excessive shoulder pads thank you for listening.